Welcome to the Fearless Health Podcast with host Dr. Anne-Marie Barter. Dr. Barter is on a mission to help people achieve their health and wellness goals and help men and women live their best lives fearlessly. Dr. Barter is the founder of Alternative Family Medicine and Chiropractic in Denver and Longmont, Colorado. Thank you so much for joining us here today. I'm your host, Dr. Anne-Marie Barter, and thank you so much for your listenership. We are just so grateful to have you. Remember, if you want to see this on video, head on over to our YouTube channel, Fearless Health Podcast, and or if you're listening on iTunes, please hit the subscribe button, and also, if you can, give us a five-star review. We are so grateful for that. So today I'm talking about something that I commonly see in practice. I have a list where you write your, your top five complaints and sleep is almost always on that complaint. And so it's always something that we need to address. And if you are one of those people out there that actually suffer from insomnia, then you understand the seriousness of simply not getting a good night's sleep. Your whole world appears to just crumble around you when you can't get a good seven or eight hours of quality, deep REM sleep. It feels like your work life, your family life, and like how you feel in the world, depression and anxiety, just all seems tough. And this includes not being able to fall asleep, waking up after a few hours of sleep, to get back to sleep or waking up extremely early and not being able to fall back asleep. A study looked at what should be a very, very healthy demographic related to sleep. These are college athletes. The study was called Sleep Deprivation and Its Contribution to Mood and Performance Deterioration in College Athletes. It's a mouthful. College students who sleep poorly have more health issues, higher stress and depression, and are far more likely to use over-the-counter stimulant medications to remain awake. They will also tend to use alcohol to promote sleep compared to good sleepers. Psychological impacts of sleep deprivation include negative influences on hormone balance and metabolism. Diminished, diminished muscle glycogen storage and increased susceptibility to illness, like getting colds in the flu. Sleep deprivation is associated with depression and negative mood. It's also shown to be detrimental to learning, memory, and judgment. Longer sleep is correlated with improved mood and academic performance. We also know that when you sleep, you actually promote something called growth hormone, which is an amazing anti-aging hormone secreted during restful sleep. It's going to stimulate tissue regeneration, liver regeneration, muscle rebuilding, and the breakdown of fat stores. It also normalizes blood sugar. And it's going to convert fat into muscle. And who doesn't want more of that? Sleep is an important antioxidant for the human brain. Free radicals are moved when you get into a deep sleep. It's also important to minimize neuronal damage. 
So we've looked at the impacts of not getting good sleep or what sleep can do, but let's look at the causes and what causes the sleep issues. So anxiety and depression, and this can be a vicious cycle because if you can't sleep, it's going to lead to an increase in anxiety and depression. The more restless the sleep, it leads to an increase in anxiety and then depression. It's just this constant vicious cycle. And then people start to get anxiety about falling asleep or going to bed. And so it's just rinse, repeat. Hypoglycemia. Blood sugar swings in the middle of the night where your blood glucose drops and you get woken up by the release of glucose and other regulating hormones, including epinephrine, which is a fight or flight based response that happens when you're in danger, right? And then other hormones can get released like cortisol and glycogen and also growth hormone. We also know that pain and discomfort can really affect sleep. This makes sense. If you're, if you're in pain, it's really tough to get into a comfortable position. You spend the night tossing and turning, trying to find a, a good place that you can actually fall asleep without pain. But something that's important to note is that certain studies have suggested that sleep disturbance may impair key processes that help the maintenance of chronic pain. Those, symptom, those, those systems are known but not limited to our opioid systems and our dopamine systems. And this can change actually how we experience chronic pain if these systems are working well. And as a general rule, it's really, really important to figure out what could be at the root cause of that chronic pain. And so this information isn't going to be comprehensive on what could potentially be causing it, right? But for example, chronic pain can be due to structural issues. Um, the first thing is creep. Creep is something that happens when you've been in a position for too long, like improper posture. That means you've been sitting behind a desk for long hours, day after day, hour after hour, year after year. And with that repeated poor posture that is not good, you can get mild tearing of the muscle. And after years of doing this, it can create pain and discomfort. You can also get a major trauma, like you could be in a car accident and you can get a major whiplash and your neck hurts after you got into that car accident. Um, car accident, neck pain, major trauma. Sometimes chronic pain can be the result of an environmental exposure. And that can be, but not limited to um, mold, heavy metals, um, also, just things in our environment like benzene materials or environmental pollutants. And these can create stressors on our neurotransmitter system, you know. And so, also, chronic drug use can contribute to this depletion of the neurochemical system as well. Um, and initially, it takes away some of that physical pain, but then it can create a rebound effect where you actually have more physical pain, which can lead to more depression, anxiety, 
trouble sleeping, chronic pain, rinse, repeat. On a rant, people generally want this to be one thing. Like, I just want my sleep issue to be due to, you know, my position at the desk, right? But unfortunately, most people have a mix of some or all of these, right? Bad posture, a physical trauma, an emotional trauma, and environmental chemicals that they're exposed to leading to all these things. Maybe not all of them, but depression, anxiety, chronic pain, sleeplessness. We're trained that we have one problem, one solution. I can't sleep. I need a sleep aid. That's how, that's how we're taught to think. And we really need to think bigger. Like what of all of these things could be contributing to my sleeplessness? Alcohol consumption affects sleep quality in a multitude of different ways. A number of studies are showing that drinking can increase sleepiness, but then later causes frequent nighttime and early morning awakenings. And so individuals with alcohol use disorders, and they frequently consume alcohol before sleep in an effort to improve their sleep, we really see that actually on the contrary, they suffer from insomnia, right? Either waking up early or waking up multiple times in the middle of the night. On the contrary, we also have other studies showing that there is no correlation between drinking patterns and sleep quality. Clinically, in practice, I've seen that someone that has one drink before bed, their sleep may or may not be disrupted. But when someone is having two to three to a bottle of wine, that tends to interact with their sleep. And again, they may fall asleep. The sleep isn't restful as we would like it to be. Right. Caffeine particularly in the form of coffee, is one of the most widely consumed stimulants in the world, with 90% of American adults consuming caffeine-infused beverages almost daily. While there is pretty substantial evidence that caffeine is really great at enhancing performance, caffeine withdrawal leads to a lot of problems, right? Like, um, cognitive, emotional, and behavioral problems, as well as societal. Um, scholars have seen for some time that the psychoactive benefits of caffeine may be the result of the effects of the caffeine withdrawal. So there was a study that was actually done that looks at, okay, how close before bed can somebody have caffeine um, and, and their sleep not be disrupted. So they looked at right before bed. They looked at three hours and six hours um, before bed. And they administered 400 milligrams of caffeine. So what we saw in the study that um, people that drank caffeine zero hours before bed or like right before bed, three hours, um, really did have disrupted sleep. Um, so it needs to be more than six hours before you go to sleep. I think a good rule of thumb is really to drink caffeine only in the morning and not drink caffeine in the afternoon. Another thing that really affects sleep is hormonal changes. Um, I'm going to talk specifically about women today, but women that are transitioning to menopause and postmenopausal are more likely to report sleep difficulties with 
rates of self-reported sleep difficulties ranging between 40 and 56%. This shows us that as women are going into and through the menopause transition, they struggle substantially more with sleep issues than premenopausal women. And one of the big things that we see with these women is they tend to get warm in the middle of the night and they wake up and they kick the covers off and, you know, they had woken up sweating and then they cool off and they get chills and they're chilly and then they pull the covers back up. So real, real problem is temperature dysregulation and really trying to figure out that temperature regulation of not having those hot flashes in the middle of the night tends to be a little bit more challenging. I've heard of women that are basically waking up every hour or every 30 minutes because of a hot flash. And so there are things to do that can help um, the sleep disruption, disruption and the hot flash. So figuring out what is creating an impact and, and, and drilling down to figure out how to change that. So we've talked about a lot of the things that can dysregulate sleep. So let's talk about some tips to help with sleep and sleep hygiene. I think going to bed around the same time every night is very helpful. I think it's important to go to bed before 1030. Turn off devices a couple hours before you go to bed, but if you can't do that, at least wear blue light blocking glasses so that you're not getting the blue light effect that stimulates daylight and it tells your body to wake up. Caffeine, only in the morning. Do not have caffeine within six hours of going to bed. And if you are prone to anxiety, you should just quit altogether. I think it's also important to turn off overhead lighting in the house. Use warm bulbs in lamps to create an orange hue like a campfire so that it's an eye level. If you're prone to peeing in the middle of the night, do not be drinking so much fluid in the evening. A lot of people drink most of their fluid in the evening, and so really space that out throughout the day. You want your room to be in complete darkness. Wear an eye mask or use blackout curtains. I also think it's really good not to watch upsetting TV before bed and limiting both alcohol consumption and food consumption right before bed. And really work at getting seven to eight hours of uninterrupted, uninterrupted sleep so that you can wake up feeling restful and refreshed. And we know that sleep serves so many functions waking cognition and that's your ability to think clearly be alert and be able to sustain attention we also know that memories are consolidated during sleep so sleep serves a critical role in emotional regulation the breaking point is seven hours of sleep and at 6.5 hours of sleep we really see a breaking point in people's ability to manage their emotions. That means the people that don't get enough sleep under six and a half hours or their sleep is completely disrupted. They have a condition like restless leg syndrome. They have a lot of pain. They have stress, shift work, jet lag, or some of the other contributing factors that we talked about above that 
those continual sleep deficits really start to take a toll on their overall performance, their working memory, their speed, their accuracy, and also how they regulate with emotions. So something that wouldn't have been a big deal, like, oh, you know, someone was sitting at your desk or someone moved your coffee, tend to create an increased stress level um, for you that you would generally be able to re-regulate. Oh, someone moved my coffee. It's not a big deal. Um, and so we know that sleep is so critical. So please really work on getting seven hours of uninterrupted sleep. And if you are really struggling with that, please try some of the tips above. And if that doesn't work, it's really time to investigate what could be at the root cause of that. And that generally entails specialized testing to figure out what could be contributing. Thank you guys so much for being here today. We're just so grateful to have you and to see you. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed learning with us today, please give us a five-star review, comment, like, and share our podcast with your friends and family. As always, if you'd like to learn more information about today's guest, please head over to fearlesshealthpodcast.com for links to their site and other educational resources.